Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We're the Retro Talk Show, and I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm Ian. And we've got a great show today. We take a field trip to a postcard show, collectible memorabilia, paper collectibles, and more. We have a retro commercial about Disneyland, and we've got Ian Rose going to tell us all about General George S. Patton and more right here on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. Hey, and welcome back, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside, the retro talk network where we talk about all the cool stuff about nostalgia and the baby boomer world. We're back, and Smitty, guess what? What? I just finished cutting the video Did of you? our trip to the postcard show. Great. And I want to go back, because now I get it. It's great, isn't it? Oh, wow. It was it was amazing. And if our listeners are out there and you enjoy us talking about collectibles, we're going to really talk to you about some collectibles today. Those photos and the little black paper albums that oh, maybe are stuck yeah. back in the garage, the postcards, the newspaper clippings, some of the magazines, the old magazines, we got to look at a whole room of them. Why don't you share with us what you saw over there? Well, I sure will, Mike. We just put together a little bit of a, uh audio clip. We went met some real nice people at the San Diego Postcard and Paper Collectibles show. We did some interviews with some people, including Jeremy LaRoque, who is the promoter of the show. And we're going to listen to these interviews and have them tell us something about these collectibles that we all have interest in. You know, I'm so glad we bumped into Jeremy, too, because he's the producer and promoter of the show. And he's second generation. His dad was the original founder of the show. And Jeremy took it over. And listen closely to what he's got to say, because usually we catch this stuff secondhand as far as collectibles and try and re-energize and re-edit it out to the folks. But here you're going to listen directly to an expert on the world of paper collectibles. And when you get done listening to this show, go out and take a look at that shoebox full of paper that you might have, the old photographs, some of the postcards, some of the old magazines, and you might be surprised at what you've got sitting there. Do not throw it away. Well, we're here at the San Diego Postcard and Paper Collectibles show, and we're talking with Jeremy LaRoque, who is the promoter of the show, and he organizes the show. And Jeremy, first we want to thank you for allowing us to come here and talk to you for a few minutes today. No problem. Tell us how long this show has been held here in San Diego. At least 25 years. My dad put the show on when I was a kid. I've been doing this for 15 years after my dad has backed out of it. I've been coming to this show for many years myself, and I know that you also do shows in other parts of Southern California, correct? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, three shows in the L.A. area, Mm -hmm. um, two in Arcadia, one in San Marino, right by the Huntington Library, Mm -hmm. and we're about to put on one, hopefully, this fall in North County, Escondido, at the Escondido Performing Arts Center. The majority of the items that are here, a lot of paper goods, a lot of postcards, what uh, kinds of things are here? If, If people were to come down to one of these shows, what would they find here? Like you said, a lot of postcards. It's mostly what Everyone here has some postcards, Mm -hmm. and then two-thirds of the dealers have other things, anything from World War II memorabilia, uh, pin-up art, uh, photos and and snapshots, books, travel guides, Mm -hmm. travel magazines, 
you know, old uh, Life magazines, things like that from mm-hmm. the 30s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of memorabilia, mm-hmm. just ephemera memorabilia, things that are hard to classify, uh, travel labels, fruit labels, mm-hmm. things like that, matchbooks. So anything, basically any kind of a printed material is a collectible, something that might be found here. That's a good way to put it, any okay. printed material. material. Yeah. Um, generally older, like when you say any printed material, mm-hmm. that might mean someone's talking about bringing in valentines from when they were in school or something mm-hmm. from the 30s or 40s or 50s. And those generally don't have much collectible value. So okay. when we're talking about a lot of things like that, holy cards, for instance, okay. or certificates of merit from from school when you were a kid, mm-hmm. those things generally don't have any value until you get really old, to mm-hmm. you know, mid-1800s kind of thing. Newspapers, same way. You know, newspapers from the moon landing or Kennedy assassination, not much collectability. You get older, older, like 1860s newspapers, and then you start getting collectability. Its age tends to matter sometimes on some of the non-postcard ephemera, but other than that, you're just talking about mostly later than 50s. Are there specifically any eras in history where the material is more collectible, the 20s, the 1800s? You no, know, different, like different pieces have their own bit of history. Mm-hmm. So you get Disneyland from the 50s, because when else you, you can't get it from the 30s? It didn't right. exist. Okay, right. So early Disney is collectible. Mm-hmm. But postcards themselves, it was a huge hobby. People sent postcards back and forth. I mean, it was like their telephones. They had no mm-hmm. telephones mm-hmm. in 1900, and everyone collected, everyone sent postcards. If you look around the room, probably 80% of the postcards here are more than 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So the age doesn't specifically matter for okay. the postcard. But what is on the postcard, if you get an early street scene from some town in Iowa or something Mm -hmm. that looks so amazingly different from what it did 100 years ago to now, a 1910, 1915 street scene can be the earliest street scene you're going to have of that town. Mm -hmm. So the age of the piece matters more when you add the subject to it. A lot of photographs turn up at these shows. Is there anything worthy of noting about the photographs as far as, uh, you know, age or subject matter? Only that more and more. Okay. Are coming. Uh, when I first started doing this in the 80s, mm-hmm. there was like nothing else but postcards. You'd come to a postcard show, you mm-hmm. would not find another thing. That appealed to an older generation that, you know, someone who was 70 years old in 1980 isn't collecting postcards anymore. Right. And the people who are starting to come to these collectible shows are less interested in the actual postcardness of an image and are going after any kind of cool image. And so a lot of those snapshots are coming out and you're finding great images on snapshots from the 40s and 50s, which hold a lot of nostalgia for someone closer to my age. When I first began coming to these shows, I would just look pretty much strictly for postcards. As I've come to more and more of these shows over the years, I look at the books, I look at the newspapers, I look at the photographs. I guess in coming to these shows, you can expand your interest. Stop becoming a postcard collector and start becoming an idea collector, and sure. it doesn't matter if it's a newspaper or a pin or a sure, button exactly. or a, a post, whatever. Jeremy, a lot of the vendors that are here that come to these shows, do they do this for a living or are a lot of them just doing this as a hobby? Kind of a hobbyist thing. Half okay. and half. Um, there's a lot of people here who this is their living. There's a lot of people here who are retired, and okay. so they'll have their social security, their retirement, and then this is just kind of fun. A lot of the vendors do come to these shows year after year. Oh, yeah. uh, so you have a lot of regulars who, who do come Most to of the people at these shows are all regulars. Okay. So I uh, will have a, there'll be a core base of dealers who so you can see when you come to each show each year, mm-hmm. and that changes, you know, a little bit as one dealer retires and a new dealer pops up. And then there's also dealers who come 
maybe every other year. Okay. And so you can't expect to see everybody every year, but you can also expect to see new faces every year. For our listeners, let's say they go to an estate sale or they're, maybe they're up in Grandma's attic and they open up a trunk and it's full of postcards or old books or old newspaper clippings. What should they do to identify what they've got and to you know be careful not to damage what they've got? Or how would they go about getting somebody to evaluate what they have? If it's convenient to come to a postcard show, you can come to a postcard show. Uh, you should also be able to contact me through my website. There should be a way to contact me through my website, www.postcardshows.com. If, you know, it happens to be May and we're not going to be back until April, and I could get you in contact with a dealer in the area who could do an appraisal, okay. you know, give, make you an offer, tell you what it's worth. As far as what a person should do, nothing. So many people do so much work that we just kind of have to undo because they don't know what categories we want. They'll put it in their categories. These are the ones that are best. Well, they don't know. Or these are all the ones that are not used as if that matters to us. And we're going to look at everything anyways. And so a lot of times they've, you can tell they've done all this work to get it organized for us, which we don't care about. We just want to look at each piece. And then as far as conserving it, making sure it's safe. If they find it in Grandma's attic after 50 years, six more months there is not going to hurt until the next show. Uh, but if they want to take it out and really start preserving it at these shows, we sell all sorts of archival acid-free preservation materials. Okay. If they wanted to keep it, they could buy. And that is always better than the, the paper notebooks or whatever those things are called they have it in and it'll be more convenient it'll be safer it just won't be as quaint as when it's in that old you know black paper with the leather bound um album but those leather bound albums with that black paper or green paper they just damage your cards they run such a risk of damaging your cards that you don't want to keep them in there and invariably it's always that one card that you have 200 cards that are worth 10 cents each and you had one card that would have been worth $200 and that's the one that has the bent corner or whatever from that thing. It always happens. It's so weird. But... My advice is get it out of there. If you're going to keep it, get it out of there and put it in the archival material. And removing, let's say, a postcard from an old album. There's the albums that you've just put the four corners in underneath the corners of of the album itself, and then pull it out of there. But there's albums where people used to paste the cards in, Mm -hmm. and you don't want to necessarily pull it out of that because you might damage the card pulling it out. It's better to just bring it in and let us give you a little bit less for it because now there's a risk that we're going to damage the card pulling it out, but we're going to have a much better chance at keeping it safe than someone who's never done it before. And Jeremy, what about newspapers? Uh, you know, newspapers have a tendency to get very brittle over the years and things like that. Do you have any advice for people if they find like an old newspaper? There's not much. Okay. Because newspapers are always printed on the cheapest possible stock they can find. Right and generally not treated well for the first, you know, 30 years of their life that they're boring. And then all of a sudden someone finds that 30 years ago something interesting happened and saves it. Um, but no, don't open it and close it. You're going to rip it. It's always going to rip. It's one of the reasons they're hard to sell. Because if I had the 1860 newspaper, I couldn't show it to very many people before it's, it turns to dust in my hands. If you have something that's really special to you, you can go to an archivist or something, but that's not here. What about magazines, uh, old life magazines, uh, magazines from the 20s? Are those pretty collectible also? Yeah. They're a little bit harder for the dealers to carry around because they're so heavy. Right. I don't know the value of those, as in, like, I can't say, oh, if you had that June 1921 mm-hmm. one, it's worth $100. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there are dealers who sell 
those magazines, and that you know they generally go on a range, you know, three bucks for cheap ones and twenty bucks for expensive ones. And certainly, if anybody goes to your website or emails you, you can certainly either help them or you can refer them to somebody who could help them in their area. Yeah, not only do I promote shows in San Diego and Los Angeles area, I have shows in Northern California, in Oregon, in Washington. I have a dealer contact list from all over the all over the country, and so if you if you know someone in some other state, I might be able to get you in touch with somebody. My email is my name, jeremy.laroque, J-E-R-E-M-Y dot L-E-R-O-Q-U-E at gmail.com. You should also be able to click a link that would contact me through an email by going to www.postcardshows.com. Jeremy, we want to thank you once again for sitting with us for a few minutes and talking with us, and uh, we certainly hope that these postcard shows do continue because they're a lot of fun, and we wish you much continued success. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, Mike, what have you uh, seen here today that strikes your fancy? Well, it's mostly postcards. And, you know, to a postcard collector, you probably won't find this many postcards in, in one room in all of Southern California. But there's also posters, magazines, quite a bit of stuff here. I understand yesterday was the big day where a lot of the early collectors come in here and uh, they pretty much collect the cream off the top. But there's some great stuff here. I, again, I wish I had the... Uh, traditional thousand dollars i'd probably spend it all here i would do mike if i had a thousand dollars it would be easy to spend it here <laughs> okay well we're here talking with another one of the vendors at the postcard show and what is your name sir it's ralph bowman ralph how long have you been doing these shows 35 years wow what kind of changes have you seen in the 35 years as far as the collectivity and things that are coming available? Well, it would be pre-internet, and prior to the internet, these shows would be packed with dealers and customers. And, of course, now you can sit in your pajamas and buy stuff 24-7. And that's the difference, I think, between the old days and today. And there's multiple sites from eBay to uh, the new guys on the block, which are BidStart. And, mm-hmm. and they all are dealing with collectibles. What kind of things have you seen? that uh, maybe have cropped up in the last, I don't know, five, ten years? Any new things that are coming up as far as collectibles? Well, sure. It'd, it'd be the equation like the Model A versus the muscle car. You know, the Model A generation of the 70s and 80s people are now selling off, and, and the new generation of the kid with the money now mm-hmm. is buying the muscle car because that's what he knows mm-hmm. best. It'd be the same thing in paper. Yep. You know, it would be uh, pre-turn-of-the-century stuff kind of is still taking a front seat, but more of a back seat versus the more modern stuff that somebody would have recognized, okay. you know, pop culture, obviously. And Ralph, what kind of things do you have for sale here today? I, I deal in pretty rare photography and movie memorabilia and autographs and things like that. Now, we're here in San Diego. Do you also go to other postcard shows? I, I actually go all over the world. Oh, okay. uh, um, next week, I fly to Chicago, and I meet up with a guy I know from Holland, Okay. and then we travel in America to two or three shows, and uh, then when I go to Holland, we go to, like, Paris and England and places wow. you know okay. over there so okay. is this kind of material also collectible in Europe also it's, it's even more vastly collected uh, postcards especially are very sought after the difference between america is we will take and buy whatever we can mm-hmm. they will buy little increments but there's twice as many people okay. you know oh, so you know it's a different cultural thing i guess and i know i've been to this postcard show many times before i've always seen you here you've mm-hmm. always had a lot of neat stuff and sure. we wanted to thank you for chatting with us for sure, a few no minutes. Sweat. do you have a website where people yeah, can i, I uh, do it's not really a website i'm the paper gallery number two and it's all one word with the two after it mm-hmm. on ebay and then on bid start okay we have probably seventy-five thousand items from 
postcards to autographs to costumes, props, all that kind of stuff. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Ralph. Okay. All right. Appreciate thank it. You okay, guys. thanks. Take care. And we sure do thank our friends over at the Post Guard and Paper Memorabilia Show, uh, especially Ralph and Jeremy, who shared what they know with us. And we're going to wrap up our visit with the Post Guard Show here shortly. But first, we've got our retro-mercial, and you are listening to the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Let's dance at Disneyland. Date nights are late nights at Disneyland. The night of at Disneyland. Friday and Saturday nights. Date nights at Disneyland. For dancing, romance, and to real life dance. Under a million twinkling lights. Friday and Saturday nights. Dance slow and dream. Or cha cha cha. The play whatever you say. Welcome back to GalaxyMoonbeamNightSight.com. We are your talk radio network for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff. Name some of the great generals of all time. Well, there's Caesar and Napoleon and Lee and who else, Ian Rose? Let George do it. How about General George S. Patton, Jr.? It was 40 years ago this year that after a movie bearing the name Patton was released... It eventually earned seven Oscars, with one refusal in 1971. And it grossed nearly $62 million against a budget of $12 million. I, w- I worked for a man once who actually served under Patton. I'll have more on that in comments on the movie and more coming up. When I say Patton, what are you thinking of, Mike Bragg and Gilbert Smith? You want to go first, Smitty? Because uh, I, don't, I don't know if we, I don't know if we can put the quote I'm thinking of over the air. Is he that no, intimidating? No, it had to no, do no. with a shovel in Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> well, for me, it's always just that opening scene of him oh. uh, giving that pep talk in front of that gigantic American flag. Absolutely. Do you realize that was going to be a scene in the movie, and they moved to the front? Is that right? That was a great choice to put it there. Yeah, it was. I saw that with you, Ian, not too long ago, a few months back. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting movie, very good movie, very well done. Mm. And as you were going to cover a little bit later, pretty realistic. Yes, I think the History Channel said that much of it, if not most of it, is the truth. Oh, and you can definitely go by a lot of his quotes. He's known for the movie. He's known for being a tough, sometimes brutal general during the war. And, uh, of course, the movie made him famous, as well as George C. Scott. But some of his quotes to this day, can be used in, in every day. One of my favorites is, if a man has done his best, what else is there? The other one I really like is, don't tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do and let them surprise you with their results. It's funny you say that because I have an incident coming up about that. You hear the results are there. Well, that, yeah, that's my favorite quote working with radio wait, people all these years. Save that quote because wait till I got to tell you this. Uh, how, how about, Ian, how about courage is fear holding on a minute longer? That, yes, I've... That, <laughs> I learned that in high school. And Ian's holding on. (laughs) Following the Oscars, where George C. Scott turned down his for Patton, the movie Patton was gaining a resurgence in movie theaters in 1971, following the release in 1970. I was working at a theater in Pasadena at the time when we booked the movie, which drew long lines 
The manager named Lou had served as an enlisted man under Patton in the European theater in World War II. It turns out that the American Sherman tanks did not have the armor to sometimes stop German ordnance. So one night, some of the troops, including Lou, bolstered their tanks with, I believe, sandbags to add more protection. The next morning, when General Patton woke up, he saw what had happened. He blew a gasket. He argued that the extra weight would slow down the tanks. Speed was essential and crucial to the effectiveness of those military vehicles. When it comes to war films, 20th Century Fox had a very good track record. And, of course, among those films, as we've said, Patton, an American biographical war film. Wikipedia describes the movie as an American classic. In 2003, Patton was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, being as, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. I remember watching the History Channel some time back, found out this movie is generally true. They actually did some analysis on it. However, there was more to Patton than the movie. He was part of uh, General Pershing's expedition into Mexico to find, but failed to find, Pancho Villa. Also, Patton served under fire during World War I and was wounded. This movie, the Internet Movie Database says, tells the story of Patton, a famous tank commander of the Second World War. It begins in North Africa and progresses through the invasion of Germany, the fall of the Third Reich. Side plots also speak of Patton's faults, such as his temper. These faults would eventually lead to his being relieved as occupation commander of Germany. The movie was shot mostly in Spain and Morocco and England, filling in for Sicily, France, Belgium, and Germany. The film's famous beginning has Patton giving a speech, a pep talk, to an unseen audience of U.S. troops with a huge American flag in the background. As throughout the film, they had to tone down Patton's actual words and statements to avoid an R rating. In the opening monologue, the word fornicating replaced another word. You can probably guess what it was. When criticizing the Saturday Evening Post, (laughs) one film critic, James Bertinelli, has called Patton his favorite film of all time. According to Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's book, The Final Days, it was also President Richard Nixon's favorite film. Chinese premier Zhou Enlai specifically watched this film in preparation for his, Nixon's, historic meeting in China in 1971. As I mentioned, George C. Scott's performance won him the best Oscar Oxter, but he refused it, citing a dislike of voting and even the actual concept of acting competition. Marlon Brando did the same thing two years later for The Godfather. And speaking of The Godfather, in 2006, the Writers Guild of America selected the adapted screenplay by Francis Ford Coppola and Edmund North as the 94th best screenplay of all time, Patton. I've also got the American Film Institute's numbers. In AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies, Patton comes in at number 89. In AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains, Patton comes in as hero number 29. A made-for-television sequel, The Last Days of Patton, was produced in 1986. Scott reprised the role. The movie was based on Patton's final weeks after being mortally injured in a car accident in Germany in December 1945 with flashbacks of Patton's life. He is buried in Luxembourg. Largely overlooked in history is the warm reception that Patton received on June 9th, 1945. Remember, the war in Europe at that time is over. This is when he and Army Air Force Lieutenant General Jimmy Doolittle were honored with a parade through Los Angeles. A reception was held at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum before a crowd of 100,000 people. 
The next day, Patton and Doolittle toured the metropolitan area. Patton spoke in front of the Burbank City Hall and at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. This may be the only time in the U.S. when civilians en masse heard and saw Patton on a podium. Patton wrote much material, including speeches, lectures, and poetry. Incorporating the biblical phrase, Through a Glass Darkly, he composed a poem with his personal interpretations of reincarnation. Some of this appeared in the movie. And here goes. Through the travail of the ages, midst the pomp and toil of war, have I fought and strove and perished countless times upon this star. So as through a glass and darkly, the age-long strife I see, where I fought in many guises, many names, but always me. So forever in the future shall I battle as of yore, dying to be born a fighter, but to die again once more. I'm Ian, big fan of Patton Rose. Good one, Ian. I'm going to go home and watch that movie again. It's a great movie. I wish you would. It's a lot different when you go back and watch these after Ian puts his magic historical touch on them. It is. Yeah, Ian brings out a lot of the fine points in these movies. And it is a great movie. If anybody has not seen it, I recommend it. Highly recommend it. And you might just find some George's patent postcards back at our postcard and paper memorabilia show. I don't know. Let's go back and let's finish up there. Well, we're here uh, again at the San Diego Postcard and Paper Collectibles show, and we're talking with Mike. Hi. And Mike is one of the vendors here. And Mike, I've seen you here before uh-huh. for quite a few times. What what kind of things do you sell here at the show? I'm interested in any paper collectibles. If it's paper, I'm interested. Uh, not paper towels, but uh, <laughs> more like uh, antique magazines, books, postcards, prints, flyers, posters, uh, anything with a little bit of time on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, your birth certificate, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, preferably pre-1965. Unless it's Marilyn Monroe or unless it's uh, Elvis or some pop character. My hope is to uh, make a few bucks and help me through this uh, senior life and uh, buy and sell when I can. And uh, anyone out there who has uh, some old dusty boxes they'd like me to look through and, uh, and buy, I'll be glad to. You can contact me. May I do that? Yes, please. You can contact me, email at magicmike49 at hotmail.com. Or you can call me on my uh, uh, line at 760-749-2325. I live in Escondido. I'm interested in local stuff, old photographs, old... uh, Not so much movie posters. They tend to stay here too long. Okay. (laughs) Mike, how did you get started collecting and selling uh, these uh, vintage items? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Someone gave me a box of old ladies' home journals, and I was knocked over by the images on the front Mm -hmm. and the the lovely pictures from the 20s and the 30s. And then I went through, and I started to enjoy it, uh, looking at the images and and then all of a sudden, someone called me up and gave me a box of old postcards in my neighborhood. And I, he wouldn't sell them to me, he just gave them to me. So I thought, oh, it just snowballed from then. I just, oh, I just started to uh, enjoy them. And, and, of course, I am a frustrated uh, history uh, professor. I never did get to teach history, but I studied history in college and took my degree in history. So it's a chance to visit those things that, uh, that interest me. And... And a chance to meet people, and uh, it opens up a story, almost anything you find with people, and uh, it's fun, and it helps me through, and it's one of two or three things I do to make it work. Great, and I bet you meet a lot of nice people here. Yeah, most of the time we do, yes. Great, great. And 
Eldana? Yeah, bring Eldana in. Now, who's your friend here? Well, this is a lady named Eldana Lay, and Eldana is from Santee. No, I'm from El Cajon. Okay. Yeah, see, that's one of the things in this business. Our mind's too cluttered. We can't remember things. <laughs> it's but, the mass of information we have inside your brain. It's too much to learn, the history. But uh, I met her, in fact, through uh, some items that, that she had uh, sold me, and now she's here, and I think she's starting to buy again, aren't you? I bought a few things today for one of the museums that okay. I represent. Okay, and what museums are these, Eldana, that, that you represent? One is the Olaf Weekhorst Museum. Olaf was uh, a painter, in mainly in oils, and his um, paintings hung in the White House, and one of his paintings hung in the Vatican. And it's a wonderful small museum. There's a lot of cowboy things in, so kids absolutely love it, and men who like pistols and women who like Indian artifacts and things like that. It's, it's charming. And where is the museum located? That's right downtown El Cajon. It's on Rea Street. It's okay. only one block long, right off Magnolia. And, and it's uh, free. And if they're in the San Diego area, they can go to El Cajon and see that. That's correct. There's also the Knox House Museum, which is a settler museum, and it's the city's museum. Okay. And it's on Magnolia. The two museums are very close together, so it makes it nice. To, if you're going to go to one, you might as well go to the other. And uh, nothing in it is older than 1912. So we have things earlier than 1869 when the valley was open for settlement because people bringing things west with them would have family heirlooms that went back quite a way. We have a charming little bold yellow house that uh, the first, it was the first commercial building in El Cajon. It was a hotel. We may have to come out there one day and have a look. We would absolutely love it. That's under the El Cajon Historical Society. Okay. Well, Donna, thank you. And Mike, thank you for talking to us for a few minutes. We've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. That was a great outing, wasn't it, Smitty? I enjoyed that thoroughly. That was a lot of fun, Mike. And uh, we sure thank everybody who we talked to, uh, Jeremy LaRoque, who was the promoter of the show, and we talked to Mike Eldana, we talked to Ralph Bowman, and uh, a lot of neat people and a lot of neat collectibles. And these little collectible shows are just a great way to spend a, a sun, Sunday afternoon, oh. Saturday afternoon, and well, you just might find just, something uh, that, that sure. clicks the nerve endings of your brain and brings sure. you back to a time that that you really uh, remember well, and, and you find something, and if just the best collectibles are the ones you find that you like exactly and i you know do collect postcards and i used to go to these shows looking just for postcards but then i began looking for other paper goods you expand the range of items that you're looking for and you can contact jeremy and they've got these shows as we say all over the place and they're coming back i believe to north county soon and we'll post jeremy's uh the the interview has his uh, email, yes. but we'll also post, we'll post it. it on our website. Yeah, okay, exactly. great. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to get out of here for now. It was a great show, and we learned some good stuff. We welcome you to come back, and remember, you are listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. I am Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm Ian. And remember, you can always follow us on the web at galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com. Our email is galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.